0: This week, I'm going to start a series that I've entitled, A Better Way to Pray. And I want to emphasize that I didn't call this the only way to pray. Or you won't get any results if you don't pray this way. That's important that you understand this because I'm going to be saying some things that are going to uh, probably offend nearly everybody in here. If you came looking for something to complain about, I've got something for you. (laughs) This is going to be different than anything you've ever heard. I say that because I've never heard anybody say the things I'm going to say. And I've, uh, you know, I've said a few things here and there, and it just causes no small stir everywhere I've been. And so this is going to be different. But... I really believe it's a better way to pray. Let me also introduce this by saying that everything I will be preaching against, I've done. And God still loved me, and I loved God, and I had a good relationship with the Lord, even though I was doing some of these things. But I really do believe that I am more effective... And seeing my prayers answered and seeing the results manifest now than I've ever been. And I don't pray the way that I used to 15, 20, 30 years ago. And so I've uh, grown over this period of time. And the people that I minister to just constantly, I see that most people are assuming things and have totally wrong attitudes in the area of prayer. And uh, so anyway, this week, I've been meditating on these things uh, ever since the Lord touched my life, but the last two or three years, I've got hundred. Matter of fact, I took every scripture in the uh, Bible that uses the word pray, prayer, praying, any form of the word pray. And I, for years, I have been scrolling through that and meditating on every verse in the Bible with prayer and analyzing it. And uh, I've spent a lot of time meditating on this. And I think it's going to really be a blessing to you. But it is going to counter a lot of our thinking. I really believe that prayer, and this is in my opinion, it's the only opinion I've got, I believe that prayer is probably the most abused part of the Christian life today. I believe that more people are messed up through prayer than just about anything. And that's amazing. There's a lot of people that just think, you know, well, I I pray, and if I'm praying, well, then what could be wrong? Jesus taught that there was right and wrong praying. If you look over here in Matthew chapter 6, let's look at some verses where Jesus talked about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5, it says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray. Notice, hypocrites love to pray. This is an amazing statement. Most people don't associate this. They think, man, if you're praying, what could be wrong? Hypocrites love to pray. Did you read that in your Bible? (laughs) Don't be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray. You know, just because you say our Father, you start it with that and end it within the name of Jesus, doesn't mean it was prayer. I really believe that a tremendous amount of what's being called prayer today is offensive to God. It in, it opens a door to the devil. It it uh, just does a lot of damage. You know, it, one of the typical answers that I have when people come up, usually it's women praying for their husbands. It seems like women are more sensitive to the Lord than men are. Women wind up getting born again first and they wind up praying for their husbands. And I've had... Uh, women come up to me by the thousands asking me, could you help me pray for my husband? And you know, one of the very first things I'll tell people typically is quit praying for your husband. They'd be better off without you praying. And you know, that offends a lot of people and they don't understand what I'm talking about. But I've listened to so many prayers that I can tell you the way most people pray is making the situation worse instead of better. There is a right and a wrong way to pray. And that's what Jesus is talking about. As a matter of fact, these first few verses, you'll find out that before Jesus taught on prayer, the first thing He did was teach on what prayer is not. Jesus had to counter the religious concepts about prayer in His day And I can guarantee, I believe that if anything, we are as bad, if not worse, than the Pharisees were in the days of Jesus. Prayer has become a religious calisthenic, something that people use to soothe their conscience, to make them feel like they have done something, to manipulate, to motivate God. All of those are wrong motivations. And one of the things I hope to get across is that the Lord is more interested in your motivation behind prayer, your heart attitude, than He is the words that you say. God looks on the heart. And just because you are spending an hour in what you call prayer, if your attitude is wrong about it, if you're praying wrong, you are not accomplishing anything. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I bet you that probably the majority of you in here, I mean, here you are at a conference, this is a Monday night, this isn't the nod to God crowd, amen, you're either a fanatic or you were drugged here by a fanatic, (laughs) you are a certifiable fanatic to be here, and I can bet you that the majority of you have learned, have disciplined yourself, and at some time or another have tried to spend certain segments of time praying. And I bet you that I could also ask most of you in here how many of you have been frustrated at it? How many of it? It hasn't seemed to produce. It has turned into something. And the majority of you in here have started and stopped not only once but multiple times. It just doesn't seem to flow. And some of you who really love God with all of your heart and have a good relationship find, find it hard to pray. I'm convinced one of the reasons is because the model that you're trying to follow, the instruction that you've had on prayer is not consistent with what the Word teaches and the Holy Spirit's trying to talk you out of it. (laughs) So Jesus said in verse 5 here, He says, When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they might be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward." What he means by that is that that little pat on the back that they get from somebody, the admiration where somebody says, oh man, this person is a holy person. Have you heard them pray? You know what? That's their reward. That little bit of ego stroking, that little bit of fun that they have, that's it. They aren't going to get anything from God. You know, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, it says if you give all of your goods to feed the poor or if you give your body to be burned and aren't motivated by God's kind of love, it profits you nothing. And the first Corinthians chapter 13 says a lot of things. If you pray in tongues, pray with the tongues of men and of angels and don't do it motivated by love. It profits you nothing. If you have all faith so that you could move mountains and don't do it motivated by love, it profits you nothing. In other words, another way of saying that is that if you don't have the proper motive, if your heart attitude isn't right, it doesn't matter what the action is that you are doing, it profits you nothing. Praying in tongues, having all faith, giving all of your goods to feed the poor, even laying your life down and dying, done with the wrong attitude, profits you nothing. And let me just suggest to you that one of the reasons that we aren't seeing greater results in our prayer life is because of the motives that are behind it. It's profiting us nothing. Now I know that many of you wouldn't admit this because we want to be positive and we're trying to believe for the best. But if you would be critical and look at yourself objectively and look at your prayer life, many of you could say it profits you nothing. You've been praying for years and you haven't seen manifestations, you aren't seeing the body healed, your finances aren't working, and I'm here to tell you that it's not God who's not answering prayer, it's our prayers that are wrong. Again, I wished I could just, I wished I had you all enough that I could spend a week preaching on this, you've already got it, Because, see, here's here's one of the concepts. One of the foundation principles about prayer that I believe is incorrect. Most people believe that God has the ability to do anything, but they don't believe that He has done anything. And prayer is an opportunity to move God and to make God move. Prayer is how you get God to do something. If that's what you believe prayer is, then you're already wrong. I wish I had a week to spend on that. But God has already done everything that He's ever going to do. God's already healed every person that will ever be healed. God doesn't have to lift His finger to cause a healing. God doesn't have to go to the cross and die for you to be saved. He has already forgiven the sins of the entire world. Not only the believers, but unbelievers have had their sins forgiven. Sin issue has been paid for. Past, present, and future tense sins have been paid for. That doesn't mean that everybody's saved because you have to accept it and appropriate it. And there are vast numbers of people who haven't received what God has done. But when it comes to salvation, you know, we teach people basically that you have to pray and say, Lord, I ask you to come into my life. And words, you know, mean different things to different people. I'm not trying to be so technical here that I'm stumbling over words. But technically, you don't have to ask God to save you. That's an incorrect thing, and yet that's what we teach people all of the time. We say, just ask Jesus to come into your heart. That's implying that God hasn't done something, and that we have to ask, and then, depending on how He feels about us, He either responds positively or responds negatively, and stuff like that. That's not true. The Bible says in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, when the Philippian jailer came to Paul and Silas and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He said, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. Believe what? Believe that He's already paid for your sins. Believe that He's already dealt with it, that the payment has been made. It's just a matter of you believing and receiving. It's not a matter of you getting God to save you. If somebody came forward for salvation tonight, and if I prayed with them, I did this uh, not too long ago, I prayed with somebody... And uh, they said that they had asked the Lord into their heart a hundred times, but they just didn't have any assurance that they were saved. And so I said, well, we're going to pray tonight and you're going to get assurance. So I prayed with them and I said, are you saved? And they said, well, I don't know. And I said, what do you mean you don't know? The Bible says right here in Romans chapter 10, verse nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. I said, did you confess with your mouth? Yes. Yes. Do you believe God raised Jesus from the dead? Yes. Are you saved? I don't know. And then I read verse 13. It says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you a whosoever? Well, I guess I am. And I said, did you call on the name of the Lord? Yes. Are you saved? I don't know. This lady, I could not get her to believe that she was saved. So in a situation like that, what would you think if I said, all right, we don't know why God hasn't saved her, but let's agree. How many of you are going to pray and fast and agree with me that God will save this woman? We aren't going to let go until God saves her. Did you know you'd say, no, that's not the way it is. God's already done it. And if she hasn't received, it's her that's, it's her receiver. That's got the problem, not God's giver. See, when it comes to salvation, most of us agree with that. But you know what I could do? If somebody came forward for healing tonight, say one of these people that's in a wheelchair around here, and if we prayed for them, if we didn't see them get out of the wheelchair immediately, I could say, how many of you all just stand in faith? Let's pray and fast and agree and not let go of God until God heals this person. I could get 90% or more of you in here to do that. And yet the Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. That means that the same way you receive salvation is the same way you receive healing, the same way you receive deliverance, the same way you receive prosperity and everything else. If it's inappropriate to beg God to save somebody because God's already done it, it's just a matter of them receiving, well then that's the way everything else in the Christian life should be. We are wrong to approach God that, God, I know you can heal me. But you haven't healed me, and I want to learn how to make you heal me. You know what that is? That's unbelief. And that's the, one of the reasons that we aren't seeing people healed, is because we don't believe He's already done it. We believe we can make Him do it. That's unbelief. That's wrong. See, that's one of the things we've taught in our Bible school, and that we've trained these people is we tell them, says, "Don't you pray for anybody to get healed?" Did you know the Bible doesn't tell you to pray for people to get healed? One time in the New Testament, in John, in James chapter five. I forget what verse, I believe it's 14 around there. It says, if anybody's sick, let him call for the elders of the church, anointing him with oil, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. It mentions praying for the sick. You can find examples of it in the book of Acts, but you aren't given a command to pray for the sick. Instead, in Matthew chapter 10, you are given the command to go heal the sick. There's a huge difference between praying for the sick and healing the sick. John G. Lake, who had a great ministry of healing in the Seattle area, John G. Lake had what he called healing practitioners. It's a similar principle to what we're doing right here. Instead of doing all of the ministry himself, he taught other people. And he had these people he called healing practitioners. And when somebody called in for prayer, he sent them out with a little bottle of oil. And he says, don't come back until they're healed. They didn't go pray for a person. They went and healed people. And sometimes the longest record that I'm aware of is somebody went out and didn't come back for three and a half weeks. But it took three and a half weeks, but they got that person healed. And they, he said that not a single minister ever came back without getting a person healed. They stayed until they saw a healed. I know that the things I'm saying right here to some of you are just foreign. Like, well, you can't do that. Yes, you can if you understand that God's already done His part. God's already saved every person. It's not a matter of us saying, God, will you save me? You believe that He's already done it, and then you just take advantage of what God has already done. That's the reason it was so easy for you to be born again, and it's so hard for you to be healed. It's not because there's a difference. There's no, it doesn't take any more faith to see a person raised from the dead than it does to see a person forgiven of their sins. As a matter of fact, if you could somehow or another put a meter on the power of God and measure it, I guarantee you seeing a person born again is the greatest manifestation of God's power that there ever was. You were by nature a child of the devil. The devil had rights and claims to you. He had the legal right to dominate you. You you hadn't been fasting and praying and studying the Word and going to church and paying your tithes and living a holy life, and yet you received the greatest miracle that ever was with no effort. And the reason it happened was because you believed it was already done. How could you doubt that God would do what He's already done? That's the reason we call it the gospel, good news. It's not the good prophecy about what God will do. It's good news. God has already done it. God's already forgiven you. Why would you go to hell with your sins forgiven? Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? If you could understand that God's already done His part. He already loves you. It's not a matter of will God save you. He's already saved you. Will you accept His salvation? Well, it's the same thing with everything else. God has already healed you. You don't have to beg God to heal you. You don't have to plead and beg for God to heal you. And yet, I can guarantee you that's what most people's prayer is all about is how to beg God, how to manipulate, how to control God, how to get God to do something that He's not willing to do. That's the attitude that most people have in prayer. And I'm here to tell you that that is absolutely wrong, and that is not what prayer is about. Prayer is not trying to motivate God, to twist God's arm, to get God to do something. I'm going to spend one whole night on this, so I won't stay here tonight. I'll just mention this. But intercession, the way it's taught in the body of Christ uh, today, is, I believe, one of the biggest errors in the body of Christ. If the Lord was to tarry, and uh, people a hundred years from now Read about some of the things that are being taught on intercession, they're going to look back and think, How barbaric, how ignorant, how crude could you possibly get? How could these people have done this? Nobody in their right mind should believe the stuff that's being taught on intercession in the body of Christ. It is one of the biggest areas of deception and bondage. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> I know I've really got somebody blessed already. But I tell you, brothers and sisters, that's not where it's at. I've got some really strong things to say about that. I'm going to hold off. But notice that Jesus, before He taught on what prayer was, taught on what prayer was not. And I tell you, before we can build this building properly and put it on its right foundation, you got to just basically jackhammer the foundation that has been taught on prayer and I believe in the body of Christ, throw it out and let's start talking about what prayer really is. There's a lot of misconceptions. I tell you what, prayer, the way it's done most of the time, I believe is offensive to God. Now God is big enough to handle it. God is a great God and He's a God of love and you know what, when I was doing some of these things that I'm going to be teaching against this week, God loved me. And God tolerated me, and God put up with it, and I, you know, God blessed me. He wasn't mad at me. I'm not saying God's mad at you, but I can tell you this I saw a lot of prayers go unanswered. And it wasn't because God wasn't faithful, and it wasn't because God wasn't a good God, but you know, you're snared by the words of your mouth. There are right and wrong ways to do things. I'm going to be teaching some of this, and I tell you, it's going to just. Uh, radically change some people's mindset on the subject of prayer, but I believe it needs to be changed. Let me put it to you this way: If you aren't getting that good of a results, why is it that we're so defensive and want to hold on to the patterns that we've got when they aren't producing any better than they are? I'm not saying that I've arrived, but I'm saying I've left. <laughs> and you know what? I've seen miracles happen. I've seen my own son raised from the dead, praise God, after being dead for five hours. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open. I've seen people come out of wheelchairs. And I'm not saying this in a condemning way or an arrogant way, but I'm saying what I'm doing is getting results. If you aren't seeing those kind of results, why are you so committed to holding on to a form that isn't producing in your life? Maybe it's time for you to reevaluate some things. Yes. Amen? Amen? So Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites when they pray, looking for attention from men, looking for recognition from men. In verse 6, he says, enter into your closet and pray. Do you know this isn't literal? The Lord, I've had people challenge me before and say, you shouldn't ever pray in public. Well, Jesus prayed in public. Matter of fact, if you'd read this exact same passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 11, you'll find that in Luke chapter 11, it says, As He was praying, His disciples asked Him and says, Teach us to pray, because they heard Him praying. If Jesus was meaning to literally pray in secret so that nobody ever heard your words, then Jesus broke His own instructions. This isn't literal. This is just basically saying, Don't pray For the recognition of people. You know, I I go to a lot of churches. I'm sure that many of you have seen this same thing. But you have people lead in prayer in church. And I tell you, it is some of them. It's just terrible. People will pray in King James English. I'm not against King James, but I'm saying I don't talk to God that way. I don't say thou mustest do this and that. And yet... I meet people that, you know, just would never talk this way, but when they pray, they get on this religious, they speak in a different tone, they pray in old English, they do all of these things, it's religious, it's hypocritical, God's not into that, God doesn't enjoy many of our prayers, that may be a shock to you, you know, when I first got really turned on to the Lord, I heard people say that you need to pray an hour a day, I thought if an hour a day would do good, two or three hours a day would do even better. So I disciplined myself and I prayed for an hour to three hours a day. I used to set a clock. And at seven o'clock I'd go in and pray. And sometimes I'd pray an hour, sometimes two, sometimes three, sometimes four hours a day. I did that for months, probably for years. I don't remember the exact time. And let me say that there was benefit to it because it was a discipline upon me. So it helped me as far as just disciplining myself. If I was praying, even if it wasn't right, I at least wasn't watching television or doing something else. And so there was benefit to it. I'm not saying it was all wrong, but I tell you, it was a drag. And uh, (laughs) when I first started, and I remember the very first time I ever started praying like that, I set this alarm and I had my eyes closed and I was praying. And five minutes into it, I thought, I wonder how long I've prayed. I thought it was at least 30 minutes or an hour. I looked up and it was five minutes. I was so disappointed. I thought, God, this hour is never going to pass. And after a few months of that, you know, I'd be just... I'd be studying the Word. I'd be having a great time singing, worshiping the Lord. Great things happening. And then it'd be time to go pray. And I honestly... One time, I, I just, is about 6.45, and I said, God, I, I don't mean this to be bad. I love you. I said, it's not a problem with you at all, but this prayer time just stinks. I said I, <laughs> I said, I dread it. I hate this time. I said, it seems like that hour is the slowest hour of the whole day. And I said, I'm not meaning to be critical, but I'm just telling you the way it is. I said, I dread it. Starting at 6.30, I go to dreading it. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He says, I start dreading it at 6. He says, I can't hardly stand that hour. And you know what? My lightning fast mind finally said, well, man, if God isn't enjoying it and I'm not enjoying it, why am I doing this? So I quit praying and my spiritual life increased greatly. You know, one of the things that the Lord said right here in verse seven, he says, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Did you know if I hadn't read this? If I'd have approached this differently, I could have come at you and I could have gotten every person in here condemned, feeling like you aren't praying enough and that you need to pray longer, more, harder, and I could have gotten every person in here to accept that and submit to this when the Lord specifically said that there is no virtue in long praying. Praying an hour a day has zippo virtue as far as God is concerned. I know some of you are really confused about it now. <laughs> Most people basically believe that, well, the longer I pray, the better it is, the more God will answer, and that's the answer to everything is just pray longer, harder, more fervently. Long prayers are not where it's at. Did you know that there's twice in the New Testament that Jesus prayed all night long? Twice. Now it's recorded in a number of the different Gospels, and so you put them all together. It may look like there was eight, but there wasn't. There was twice in all of the New Testament where Jesus prayed all night long, and most of the time when He prayed, it was not an extended amount of time. When He prayed for the storm to be still, He said, Peace, be still. That was His prayer. When He prayed for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, He said, Lazarus, come forth. Three words. When he prayed for people, it was usually short. Did you know that once you begin to start understanding things correctly, actually the shorter the prayer, the greater the faith. good friend of mine, Dave Duell, says that help is a good prayer. Amen. <laughs> you know what? But we have thought that we have to pray long, extended period of times. There's different purposes for prayer. One of the purposes of prayer is for self-edification. When you pray in tongues, you build up yourself on your most holy faith. And so when I pray long periods of time, like this morning, I was out walking and I prayed for, I don't know what it was, 30, I walked for a little over an hour. Part of it was uphill, so I wasn't praying going uphill. (laughs) But I probably prayed for 30 or 40 minutes. And you know what I was doing most of the time was speaking in tongues. But that's not really petitioning God That's just me praying. It builds me up. It promotes spiritual growth. I'm praying for wisdom and revelation. So most of the time when you pray an extended period of time, it's really not a petition. It's not asking God for anything. It's just there building yourself up. I'll also get into this in more detail on another session because I don't want to shortchange it tonight. But prayer primarily is not to petition God for anything. And yet I can guarantee you that's how the majority of the body of Christ looks at prayer. It's an opportunity for me to plead with God and to receive my needs met. Well, there are scriptures that says that that is a valid use of prayer. But I, this is just my own personal opinion. I'm drawing this out of my relationship with God. I'm not saying this is the way it has to be with you. It's not the only way to pray. This is what I believe is the best. You know what? You ought to confine your requests, petitions, intercession, pleading, asking for something to less than 5% of your prayer life. That is not what prayer is about. It is a part of prayer, but it is a minute part of prayer. If you were to take most people and if you were to subtract your repenting of your sins and begging God to forgive you for how sorry you are, which is totally unnecessary... Or remove your petitions where you're asking God for things, or if you're really spiritual, move your petitions for other people. That's what intercessors are. They're, they're always asking for somebody else. But if you were to remove those kind of things from prayer, most people wouldn't have anything left. Because that's what their prayer life consists of is, oh God, I'm so sorry, I've failed again. Oh God, help me to overcome this problem, God, give me this, heal this provide this, or if you're spiritual, do it for them and pray for other people. And that's what most people's prayer life amounts to. Did you know Adam and Eve had none of those things? They didn't have anybody to pray for. They didn't have any demons to rebuke and cast out, any kingdoms to tear down. They didn't have any clothes to believe for. They didn't have any food to believe in. They didn't have any houses to believe for. They didn't have to pray for a new job. There was no petitions, and yet they met with God every evening in the cool of the day and had communion with God when there was nothing about sin, lack, need, problems, repenting, Begging, pleading, and yet they had prayer, communion with God every single day. Most people, I believe, are using prayer for something God never intended. And it's become a religious thing. And that's the reason it doesn't flow in your life. That's the reason you can make these promises and say, I promise you, God, I'm going to pray an hour a day if it kills me. And you'll do it for a week, a month, or something. But it just never lasts because that's not the way that God's leading you. Don't think that you're going to be heard because you pray long periods of time or use certain words over and over and over. That's not what... The Lord made it very clear that that's not what prayer is. You know, I had a man come to here to Colorado Springs one time. He was teaching in a local church, and he was teaching about how to pray an hour a day. Larry Lee at one time had this uh, ministry out about how to pray an hour a day. It wasn't Larry Lee, but it was a guy who was in his church, and he got that message, and he went out, and his whole ministry was based on how to get people to pray an hour a day using the Lord's Prayer right here from Matthew chapter 6. And anyway, there there was benefit to what he was saying. I'm not saying that it was all wrong. But anyway, this guy came and I'd been to his meetings. He came over to my office to see me. And the very first thing he asked me was, so how much do you pray every day? And when he first said that, it just kind of took me off guard. I never sat down and thought about it. I've never sat down and tried to figure out how much time I spend in prayer every day. And as I thought about it, I got to thinking, I said, why does this guy want to know how long I pray every day? And I only came up with two answers. One of them is, is so that he could compare himself with me and hope that he comes out looking better and he would build up his ego and make him feel better about himself. Or it was so that he could condemn me and get the uh, edge on me and begin to tell me and and start somehow or another manipulating, controlling me, trying to get me to respond to him. Those are the only two benefits I could see to it. And uh, as I was thinking about this and pondering the Lord spoke to me. and he says, how much time did you spend with Jamie yesterday? And Jamie and I spent all day together. We were together all day. And the Lord just likened it to a relationship. The Lord used this exact same reasoning in Luke chapter 11 and other places. And anyway, the Lord was just saying to me, he says, you know what, if you were with Jamie all day... And yet you could reduce your relationship with Jamie to... I spent an hour with Jamie yesterday and she was available 24 hours a day. That's not a very good relationship. And you know, the Lord just spoke to me and He says, If I'm available, if I'll never leave you nor forsake you, and if you can reduce your relationship, your prayer with God to an hour a day, you got a sorry relationship. So I responded to that guy that way and I said, you know what? I spent all day with God. I was, I was in prayer all day long and he was just shocked. No, no, you don't understand what I mean. I said, well, you don't understand what I mean. I said, that is prayer. Prayer is not a certain position, although that the scripture shows that sometimes people knelt. Sometimes they lifted their hands. Sometimes they looked up to heaven. You can't make religious form out of these kind of things. You don't have to have your eyes closed. You don't have to be talking out loud to pray. The scripture says, consider my meditation, Psalms chapter 5. Meditation is prayer. Prayer is just communion with God. And you know what? If God is with us all of the time, we ought to be praying all of the time. You ought to be in communion with God constantly. Now there are times that you have special relationships, just again like a husband and wife. There are times that you need intimacy. There's times that, you know, uh, Jamie and I don't have a schedule so that we can have it every single week, but we go out on dates. We just go do things. We make a date. We say, you know, this Thursday, let's go to the show. Let's go do something. And we make dates. I think it's good and it's helpful for a relationship because if you don't make a date, if you don't set aside some time, you'll wind up getting so busy that you wind up never having time for each other. So there are special times that you, you spend with your mate, and I believe it's appropriate to have special times that you isolate yourself with God. But you know what? That's not the majority of the time. It's not all of the time. And you can't build a relationship on that. I'm telling you that if you are trying to make your relationship with God to where you've always got to be screaming at the top of your lungs, on your knees, with your hands up, having lightning bolts and flashes, and if that's what you call prayer, you're never going to prosper. You need to get to where you just enjoy hanging out with God and nothing being said, no blinding flashes of light. You aren't doing anything specific. You're just fellowshipping with God. You're just loving God. You know what I enjoy and probably the thing that I do the most, what I call prayer, relationship with God, I'm just studying Scripture. To me, when I read the Bible, it's prayer. That it may not be that way for everybody, because I do believe that you can read it with nothing but your brain. But if you read it with your heart, when I am in the Word, man, I take a Scripture, and it may take me hours. Matter of fact, I've spent the last three months going through First and Second Samuel. I've spent 3 months reading 1st and 2nd Samuel. I mean slow. Sometimes I'll spend all day on one verse. But you know what that is? That's prayer. I'm looking at that and God is speaking to me and I'm asking God and and getting revelation on different things. And I meditate and to me that is the that is probably the most uh, enjoyable form of prayer that I have is just reading the word and meditating on God and letting God speak to me. And You know what that is? That's prayer. Brothers and sisters, there's some of you in here who have let Satan beat you up because you don't spend 30 minutes, an hour or something like this locked up in a closet somewhere, tearing down strongholds, rebuking demons, screaming, yelling, hollering, and you're feeling condemned and you aren't, in, you aren't feeling like you please God. And you know what? God is just as pleased with you as He can be. You've got a great prayer life. It's just different. You know, if a mother with four little kids locks herself in her room, her closet, an hour and a half or two hours a day, you're missing God. That's not God's will for you. It is not God's will for you to just separate yourself and let your kids destroy the house and kill each other while you're in there talking to God. You know what? You can't always do that. But you can pray without ceasing, all day, every day, in the midst of everything else. You can be in communion with God. You know what? God's pleased with that. Now, if you can get some special time, if you can get a time where you can spend an hour just, I mean, on your knees with your eyes closed so that nothing is distracting you, hallelujah, praise God, take advantage of it. But you know what? That doesn't have to be. And if you are making prayer something that doesn't fit into your normal day so that you can't pray driving down the street, i tell you what, you need to pray when you're in a traffic (laughs) jam. Man, you need to be in communion with God. You need to be able to pray while you're at work. You need to be able to pray and be in communion with God. See, the way that we've presented prayer, we've made it so that you can't fit it into a real world. You can't live the way that some people are teaching prayer. You'll hear people talk about, man, rising up two, or three hours before everybody else is up at three in the morning and praying for three or four hours and you'll hear these stories. And that's wonderful if you can do it. But you know what? If you've got kids that keep you up until 10 o'clock and they wake you up two or three times during the night and you got to get up at five and go to work or something, you aren't going to be able to pray three hours during the night. You aren't going to be able to get up at two in the morning. God doesn't want you to. The Bible says it's vain to rise up early and to stay up late because God gives His beloved sleep. Man, when I first got started seeking the Lord, I had such a desire to serve God. And I was being told that you had to stay up and pray and do all these things. And so I was staying up late and I would start praying and I'd fall asleep praying. I'd kneel around my bed or something and I'd fall asleep praying and I got to feeling so condemned and I was praying saying, oh God, I'm so sorry. What, What can I do to keep from falling asleep when I'm praying? And he says, go to bed and get a good night's rest and then you can pray without falling asleep. So, you know, now if I start studying the word or praying and I fall asleep, you know what I do? I'll take a nap and then I'll go back to studying and praying and everything's fine. I know that this is destroying some of y'all's attitudes and models towards prayer, but I really believe that God isn't pleased with all of our religious calisthenics. That's all it is. We're doing, most of us are just like these hypocrites. We're praying for the recognition that we get. Or we're praying to soothe our own conscience to make us feel like I've done my religious duty now. God's got to move. I've put the coin in the slot, pulled the handle. God, you got to come out because i spent an hour in prayer. <laughs> I want you to know God's not impressed with how long you've been in prayer. Doesn't matter to God. Amen or oh me. So he spent time telling you, first of all, what prayer is not. In verse 8 he says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask Him. Have you all ever heard a prayer like this, or possibly you've prayed it yourself to where a person gets a doctor's report and a doctor says you're going to die? And the people go and they say, Oh God, the doctor said, and they start listing off all of the things that were given them in this report, talking about it. And and the doctor says, I only have two months to live. And, And most of their prayer is occupied with telling God how bad the situation is. This verse is saying that your father knows what you have need of before you ask. Prayer is not to inform God how bad your situation is. God knows your situation better than you do. You don't need to tell God what the doctors have said. You don't need to tell God what your husband or wife have said, what your boss has said, what the problem is. You know, it's like most people in their mind picture this desk in heaven where God's got millions of requests and you know that he's swamped and it might take months for him to get to your request. And so you got to tell him how, God, this is really urgent. You need to get to this one quick and you have to inform God so that hopefully he'll put yours to the top of the list and then stamp approved on it. You may not use that mental picture, but that's about the way that most people think is that for some reason God is bogged down. It might take months for it to work unless you let him know that this is really urgent. That's not the purpose of prayer. Prayer is not to inform poor misinformed God about how bad your situation is. Again, if you were to extract this from most people's prayer, telling about what your problem is and letting God know how bad it really is. If you were to subtract that from most people's prayer, you wouldn't have much left. That occupies a big percentage of prayer. This is why I tell most women that are praying for their husband to quit praying for their husband because I've heard them pray. And you know what they do? They'll say, oh, God, the husband, he beats me. He beats the kids. He beats a dog. He spends our money. He's a drunk. He's a reprobate. And they'll spend 45 minutes telling god how bad he is and then they'll say but say i believe you're going to save him in jesus name they spend five seconds in faith 45 minutes in unbelief rehearsing the problem talking about how bad it is and then counter it with five seconds of faith and they say how come i'm not encouraged (laughs) that's not an encouraging prayer You're focused on all of the problems and you're speaking negative. There's death and life in the power of the tongue. You can release death with your tongue just as much as you can life. Charles Capps was praying one time and said that the Lord stopped him right in the middle of it and says, What are you doing? And he says, I'm praying. And he says, You aren't praying, you're complaining. (laughs) And that's what most people's prayer is. All is it's just complaining, it's griping, it's murmuring. It doesn't please God. I know some of you are saying, man, you're taking away everything that I call prayer. Well, sometimes, you know, before you can build the right foundation, you just, gotta, you just need to jack the house up and move it, amen, <laughs> and uh, pour a new foundation to build it on. And I really believe that prayer has just become so religious to most people. And again, I'm speaking from my own personal example. I'm not going to criticize anybody in here for something that I haven't done. I've organized all-night prayer meetings, gotten people together. We have prayed all night. I've prayed all night. Other people left. The longest I ever saw anybody stay was 11-something o'clock, and I stayed there by myself and prayed all night long. I have prayed all night, many a night. When I was in Vietnam, I prayed four hours a day on Bunker Guard every day for 13 months. Four hours. And that's before I spoke in tongues. And I tell you what, you can pray for the whole world in 30 minutes if you aren't speaking in tongues. That was not easy to do. And I forced myself to do it. I prayed four hours a day for 13 months plus all the rest that I did. But I mean, specifically, Bunker Guard was four hours of prayer every single night. I've done all of these things. And you know what? I don't do any of it now. And I'm getting better results I love God more. God loves me. We're just having a great relationship. I don't believe God's upset with me and I'm not doing any of that stuff. I know some of you are in your heart right now just condemning me. But until you start getting better results than I'm getting, maybe you ought to consider that maybe you need to change. You know, Dwight L. Moody was a man that didn't even have a third grade education. And he became a preacher, preached in front of the Queen of England preached on every continent on the earth, saw hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people born again, was powerful, powerful, powerful. And, and Moody had a disciplined life that consisted of all of these things. He, he ministered to a lot of people. And his prayer life consisted of 45 minutes worth of prayer and Bible study from 12 noon to 12.45 every day. And that's all he did. The rest of it was all out doing something. Did you know according to the current model that's being taught in the body of Christ today, he couldn't have been effective. He just changed the world. A hundred years later, he's still impacting the world through the Moody Bible Institute. And he's got a school that he started in Scotland and other places. And the man did more than most of us have ever dreamed of. I tell you, I believe that we got some serious misconceptions about what prayer is all about. And uh, we need to change some things. And so before Jesus taught what prayer was, He taught what it wasn't. He countered a lot of stuff. And I'm going to be doing that. Real quickly, let me just go on down here into verse 9. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. It says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. And this is not a prayer to be recited the way that it's been done in the church today. This is a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's actually more accurate to say that it's a model prayer. Actually, did you know that this isn't even a New Testament prayer? Some of you will be shocked to hear that, but it's not prayed in the name of Jesus. And right before Jesus died, He told us in the 16th chapter of the book of John, He says, "You, up to this time, you've asked nothing in My name. Now ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Whatsoever you ask the Father in My name, He will give it unto you." A New Testament prayer has to be asked in the name of Jesus. This isn't in the name of Jesus. It isn't a New Testament prayer. Does that mean we aren't supposed to pray it? Well, you aren't supposed to repeat the words. But what he was doing was giving a model. In other words, there are scriptural principles involved in this. This is a way to pray. It is not the words to pray. If you're reciting... Our Father which art in heaven and pray in the Lord's Prayer, all you're doing is soothing your conscience, that little pat on the back, your little feeling of, man, I'm really really doing my religious observation and duty. That's all you're getting out of it. This does not earn you anything with God. But rather, it's like in Psalms chapter 100, the scripture says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. It tells you how you're supposed to begin prayer. You're supposed to start by entering with joy and thanksgiving and praising God. Well, that's exactly what he said to do here. When you pray, say, our Father, which is uh, drawing on the relationship, not just God, impersonal, distant, not judge, not creator, but our Father. There was only one person in the Old Testament that referred to God by Father. In the New Testament, this is the name of every one of us. Every one of us have a relationship that supersedes what people in the Old Testament had. Man, this is special. So he's saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know what He's doing? Psalms 100. He's entering into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. This isn't saying that you have to repeat those words, but it's telling you when you enter into the presence of God, begin to worship and praise Him. Thank Him for His loving Father relationship. Remind yourself that He's a good God. He's not mad at you. God's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. God's pleased with you. God loves you. God's not angry at you. And if you haven't been praying, God's not mad at you. God's not condemning you. God loves you. You need to enter into His gates and remind yourself that He's your Father. What would you think if a child came in to their father and started saying, Oh, I know I haven't talked to you all day today. And I know that you're displeased. And oh, forgive me, forgive me. And, and starts begging and pleading for mercy and clemency. You know what? You'd say, "Boy, that father's not a very good father. That father's gotten these kids to where he's, they're afraid that if they don't do everything just right, if they haven't talked to him all day, that the father's going to be mad at them." And you know what? I I wish I could somehow or another talk to you personal, one on one. I know that every one of us in here, I've done it has entered into God's gates with a sense of unworthiness and failure. God, I haven't prayed. I'm not loving you. I'm not doing what I should. And we come in concerned, dominated, focused on our unworthiness instead of his goodness. God's not pleased with that. That's not the right way to approach God. If you feel like you're sorry... Well, then praise him for the fact that he loves such a sorry person as you. Amen. <laughs> Instead of focusing on your sorryness, praise God for his goodness. You know, I had a dog when I was first got turned on to the Lord. This dog was named Honey. It was three-fourths German Shepherd and one fourth Chow. And I got it because I went to uh, the army and I left it with my mother to be a watchdog. And so it was supposed to be this mean dog. It was a big dog, but it had been beat with the trace chain before I got it. And this dog looked mean. I mean, if somebody walked by it, it'd run and jump on the fence. The whole fence was bowed out where this dog had jumped on it. It would scare people. It looked tough. But if you opened up the back gate, it'd hurt itself getting out of the way. It was so timid. It had been beaten and stuff. And every time this dog would come to me, it'd run up about 10 or 15 feet away and stop, roll over on its side, it'd go to whimpering and scooting up to me on its side. It wanted me to pet it, but... It was afraid I was going to hit it or something. And you know, when I was meditating on these exact verses of Scripture, I remember walking out, sitting on my back porch, and here comes this dog running across the yard. And it got a few feet away, and it rolled over on its side and started whimpering. And I stood up and just let this dog have it. You know, it's hard to get mad when your dog's name is Honey. (laughs) This dog looked like Honey. It was the color of Honey. So that's the reason I named it, honey. Anyway, I said, honey, one time I wished you'd come up and jump on me and treat me like a a normal dog would. I said, everybody sees you and thinks I beat you. Everybody thinks I'm a mean master. I said, man, I I get embarrassed when people see how you act. And I was just letting this dog have it. And you know what? The Lord spoke to me and he says, that's exactly the way I feel about you. He says, just one time, I'd like for you to just come in and say, Daddy, Father, and not talk about how sorry you are, and you know you don't deserve it, but oh God, please have mercy on me. He said, just one time, just come in and act like I love you. That's what this is talking about. We should enter into his gates with thanksgiving. We should be praising him, saying, Father, thank you that you're a father. Thank you that... You know, you wouldn't expect a father to treat a child the way that we expect our Heavenly Father to treat us. If a child approached their parent the way we have been conditioned to approach God, I guarantee you we, none of us would think that was a good parent. You know what? People from the outside see the way that we talk about God. God's the one that sent the uh, September the 11th attacks. God's judging America. we got to pray for His clemency. Man, God's going to destroy us, wipe us all out because we're an ungodly nation and we wonder why people aren't turning to the Lord. That's not an accurate representation of God. That's not the truth about God. It's not true that God's mad at you. I don't care how sorry you are. God's just glad to hear from you. Amen? (laughs) He's not going to upbraid you. He's not going to chastise you. God just, God's not like that. And you need to enter into His gates with thanksgiving and praise Him. Say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank Him for the fact that He's holy, that He's good, that He's kind, that He loves you, that He's your Father instead of your judge. I know some of the things I'm saying right here, there are some of you not relating. But He is our judge. No, He's not. He's going to be the judge of the unbelievers, but He's not going to judge you. Your judgment was placed on Jesus. God is not going to judge you. God's not angry at you. God's not mad at you. God's not upset. And so then it says, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is just praising God that, Father, I know it is Your will for things to be done on earth the way it is in heaven. In heaven, there isn't sickness. So you know what? It's not God's will for you to be sick. There isn't poverty in heaven. It's not God's will for you to be poor. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Yes. There is abundance of joy and peace. There is shouting and praising. That's the way He's expecting us to be right here. We've developed an attitude that somehow or another we just expect God to be half ticked off. And we have to go in and constantly be appeasing an angry God. That's wrong, 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 wrong. That's not the way that God wants it to be. You know, if people understood this part of this prayer right here... They'd they'd quit believing that God is the one that makes people sick. God's the one that put poverty into your life. God's the one that caused your marriage to fail because you hadn't been serving Him. God killed your child because you hadn't been reading the Bible. Religion is teaching that stuff. And then we wonder why we aren't getting better results. Man, God wants His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, man, there's abundance of all these things... That's what we ought to pray for. That gives us guidelines, what to expect from God. And then he says, give us this day our daily bread. Did you know that this is not a question? It doesn't have a question mark at the end. This isn't saying, oh God, we ask you to please give us a crumb. I know I don't deserve it, but God, give me a crumb today, would you please? This is a demand. Give us this day our daily bread. It's not an arrogant demand. It's not saying, God, I'm forcing you. It's not like that at all, but it's a familiarity. It's like a little kid comes in and says, Mom, I want something to eat. <laughs> Do you slap them and say, you didn't ask? No, but that's just part of the relationship. They expect you to meet their needs. You've already said that you'd meet their needs, and so they're just taking advantage of it. Not out of arrogance, but out of familiarity, because they know that you love them. Do you know that that's the way we're supposed to do is say, Father, thank you, I receive my healing, I take my healing. Not because you're making God do something, but you know that God's already done it. God's already supplied it. so you just reach out and take it. Did you know there's not very many Christians that approach God this way, but instead we come before Him as beggars instead of His children. Instead of making a demand and saying, Father, thank you that I know you've already done it. You'd never deny me anything good. Instead, we come in feeling like we got to beg and plead with God that God is not disposed to move in our life. That attitude stinks. It's not true prayer. It's religious bondage. And it's offensive to God. It's not blessing you. We just need to tear that stuff up and start all over. Give us this day our daily bread. Just take advantage of what he's already done. You don't have to ask for it. Appropriate it. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. See, this isn't a New Testament prayer. Your sins have been forgiven. You don't have to confess it and say, forgive us our sins because they've already been forgiven. What you have to do is believe and take advantage of the sins that have been forgiven. And you don't have to pray, God, don't lead us into temptation. This was prior to Jesus. Having atoned for all of these things, Jesus went into temptation for us. He was led into temptation and He suffered 40 days and 40 nights being tempted by the devil. And now He's risen and you know what? You don't have to pray and say, oh God, don't lead me into temptation because He won't. He's already done that through Jesus. Now there are still principles that we apply to us. You could say, Father, thank you that Jesus has already borne this. And I know it's your will that I not be tempted. And you can appropriate it. That's fine. And then it says, But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. He started the prayer with praise. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Praising God. And then you end it with, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. It's what I call the sandwich technique. You start talking about how big God is and thanking Him. You slip in your request. And then you end it with praising God. You know, if you would approach God... That way, you put a request in between two slices of praise and thanksgiving, you'd find that you wouldn't have very much to ask God for. Instead instead of coming in and just, oh, God, the doctor told me I'm going to die. I remember my Aunt Susie died of this same thing and telling God how bad it is instead of doing all of that. You know what that does? That discourages you. It builds up fear and depression. But instead, if you'd come in and say, Father, thank you that your name is above every name. Cancer's got a name. AIDS has a name. These things that the doctor told me has a name. You're above it all. Thank you that you're greater than all of this. If you'd spend five or ten minutes praising God for His greatness, then by the time you got ready to put your request in, you'd feel like, oh, God, this is so small in comparison to what you're able to do. You know, I shouldn't even have to ask. But God, the doctor did say, I'm going to die. So if you could take care of that, it would be awesome. Amen. And then you just praise God and go back to praising God. and it wouldn't be a problem. But what we do is say, Oh, our, our judge, which art in heaven, you're so far away and so Oh, God, I'm going to die. And you spend 40 minutes talking about what the doctor said and then end it with, Well, heal me in the name of Jesus and wonder why you're depressed. That's a depressing prayer. Focusing on the problem will magnify the problem. You don't need to let God know how bad the situation is. You know what you need to do? You need to tell yourself. A lot of prayer is actually talking to yourself. Praising God for who He is. Yes, you are talking to Him, but it does a lot of good for you. You know, prayer ought to be, a huge amount of prayer ought to be praise. Praise is important. That's the reason we start our services with praise. Praise is important. You know, one of the words for prayer, if you look it up, literally means worship. Another one of the words for prayer means to kiss the face. Prayer is worship. Prayer is loving God. Prayer is communion with God. And brothers and sisters, most of what we're doing isn't prayer. It's griping and complaining. It's doing stuff to make you feel better. To feel like you've earned something from God. Thinking that you'll be heard if you'll pray for an hour. Trying to stretch your prayer. There is zero benefit to stretching your prayers out. It's just religious stuff that we're into. And I wish I had time tonight to tell you what prayer is. I've spent the whole night talking about what prayer isn't. And I don't think I'm going to get to what prayer is tomorrow night either. But sometime this week we will talk about what prayer is. But I'm trying to undo some of the wrong thinking that we've got. And I tell you, if you will begin to start approaching God with a new attitude, it will make a difference in your life. There's somebody here tonight that could just be set free from some of the religious bondage that you have imposed on yourself. God hasn't imposed it on you. people have put it on you. And you've accepted it. And I tell you what, that's not the way that God is. You know, if you wanted to destroy your family... I can tell you one way to do it, and that is have a special time every night where you have to fellowship from 7 to 8 o'clock. Just make it a law that nothing supersedes it. From 7 to 8 every night you will fellowship. And so the kids are on the phone, they're doing homework, they're doing something else, somebody's watching TV, doing something, but man, the bell rings, and everybody's got to run, and one, two, three, fellowship! <laughs> and I guarantee you, you'll ruin your family doing that. Now, it is a good concept to have time set aside where you do things as a family, but you know what, you can't be so rigid that it just is, is legalistic like that. People like variation. People enjoy spontaneous type of things. And you know what? If you're going to have a healthy relationship with people, yes, you have to spend some time with them, but you know what? It needs to be a little bit more subtle than that. It needs to be you just out of the... You know, you do it because you like to do it, not because you're dictated. The moment you start saying you've got to do it, there's something on the inside of you that says, I don't want to do it. (laughs) And you know what? God's a person. And I believe that God doesn't enjoy you coming to Him because you've got to do it. The Lord says, go back to watching TV. I'd rather you watch TV than come in here and spend an hour griping about how hard it is and how tough it is. Amen? Amen. You know, I meet people all the time that have listened to my tapes, seen me on television or listened on radio and they have received something from me so they want to become my best friend. And so they come up And I mean within 10 minutes, they want me to spill my guts. I want you to tell me what your needs are. I want to pray. And they just want to become intimate with me in 10 minutes and be my best pal. And it's not going to happen. You can't dictate that. You can't demand it. You can't go in. Relationship has to be developed. And you know what? God is a person. And it takes time to build a relationship with God. And you can try and make it too intense. You can, you know, if the Lord was to answer some of your prayers, and if you were asking for a lightning bolt from heaven that just curled your hair, the power of God was so strong, you want a supernatural experience with God, it would be the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Because if that happened... This morning in prayer, then tomorrow morning in prayer, you'd have to have something even bigger or better or you'd feel like, God, what happened? Why don't you love me? Yesterday you did this, today I don't feel a thing. God would have to start r- jumping through a new hoop, doing something brand new every day, doing some kind of, something more spectacular every day to satisfy most of our concepts. And I tell you, that's not the way that God is. The Lord delights in showing Himself in subtle ways. You can see that in Scripture. Jesus could have come and manifested Himself in some glorious way. I mean, there could have been a comet come to earth. There could have been an earthquake that would have shook the whole world. The whole world would have known that Jesus arrived. Instead, there was only a few shepherds that had His birth announced. God delights in doing things in subtle ways. Jesus said of Himself, I'm meek and lowly in heart. The Lord isn't spectacular. You know, if it would have been me that raised from the dead. I wouldn't have appeared to Mary Magdalene in a a ragtag group of disciples. Man, I'd have gone to Herod. I'd have gone to Pilate. I'd have shook the foot of his bed and I'd have said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? (laughs) I'd have gone to those guys who blindfold me and then spit on me and cursed me and slapped me and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have appeared to them and I said, do you want me to tell you something? (laughs) I'd have hovered over Jerusalem and I'd have let everybody who saw me crucified see me resurrected from the dead. I'd have done, you know what? There was hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem and they would have all fallen down and have worshipped him if he would have done something. And yet there isn't one example in scripture of Jesus ever appearing to anybody who didn't already believe in him after his resurrection. That's not the way that God is. God loves faith he wants you to respond by faith he could talk to you in an audible voice but it doesn't happen very often because you know what he's more pleased if you'll listen to that still small voice and respond to that god could have a you know a bird sit on our shoulder and tell us everything that we need to know he could have every dog that walks by say god loves you (laughs) god could do all kinds of things but you know what that's not his nature And yet we're looking for the spectacular and we're wanting something where, man, every time we get in prayer, you just crying and weeping and wailing and travailing. And it is so emotional. You know what? You'll ruin your relationship with God with that kind of attitude. That's like a person who wants to be so intimate with their mate that every moment of every day is like when you make love to your mate. It's not going to be that way. That's not the way that relationships last. That's a part of it, but it's a small part of it. You know, I helped start the Colorado Springs Pregnancy Center here in Colorado Springs. And it's grown, and, and it's uh, really effective. Anyway, I'm, I helped organize it. I'm off the board now because i got other things to do. But I was really involved in it for a period of time. And I went to a conference where they had... All of the crisis pregnancy centers in the whole state come together and I was one of the speakers at this thing and they had other speakers there. And this one lady was a psychologist and she got up and began to start telling about how that there are different stages in bonding and and establishing a husband-wife relationship. And uh, I, I don't remember all the details. But anyway, she talked about how in your little kids just being around a, a, you know, a girl or a boy, if you're a girl, the person of the opposite sex, just being around them gets you excited. And you, you need to learn to relate on just that level. And then touching each other, then holding hands and interacting and learning how to talk. And you had all of these stages and then it culminates in the physical relationship in marriage. And she, she listed at least 10 stages of intimacy. And she says the problem that we see in our society today is that sex is being promoted so much that people miss all of these other stages and they think that intimacy is all about sex and because of that they can't sustain a relationship because you can't have sex all day every day. And she was saying that this is the reason that marriages are falling apart and people aren't able to sustain it. And I really agree with that. And there are so many other stages. You know, it's the same thing in relationship with God. Yes, there are times. I've had things happen to me that I don't even tell people because people would make a doctrine out of it. I've been caught up. And I've seen awesome things happen. I've been gone somewhere for a long period of time. I've had some awesome things happen in my life. But I don't talk about it much because you know what? That happens... Years in between each other. It has literally been, I bet you, a decade since I have had some of those overwhelming supernatural things happen to me. And some people think, well, that's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame that your relationship has cooled off. It had not cooled off. But you know what? I've just learned to enjoy God. I got to spend the weekend at home. One of the rare things for me. And man, I was just... I was enjoying looking at flowers. I looked at every type of flower on our property and just praising God for those flowers. They're awesome. And you know what? I believe God's pleased with that. That's relationship with God, learning to appreciate the flowers, appreciate the nice weather. Man, it's the greenest it's ever been in Colorado that I can remember. I've been praising God for that, thanking God for that. It's wonderful. Last year, we were evacuated because of fires at this time. Spent two and a half weeks evacuated from our house. God spared our house. And the fire stopped one mile from our house, but it's over a ridge. It doesn't even affect my view. Amen. Praise God. I'm praising God for that. You know what? And that's relationship with God. And there are some of you that have never learned to just Appreciate God and fellowship with Him on a small basis. You're trying to do something earth-shaking and monumental, and because of it, you can't sustain a relationship with God. Man, we need to get back. I believe that Adam and Eve just told God to say, what did you do today? Oh, man, I saw a tree I had never seen before. And they told him about, man, that was an awesome tree. You did a great job. And you know what? That was prayer. That was communion with God. And they, it was perfect. you try and make your relationship too intense, you know what? You'll miss out on who God is. God's not like that. So praise God. We're going to refocus some things on prayer and I believe that this will help you. Amen.